Amen. Well, we come this morning now to our final message in this short series that I've called Delighting in Our Triune God, a series on the doctrine of the Trinity. And after laying the initial foundations in the first couple of weeks, we've been spending time thinking about what it means to know and delight more fully in each of the persons of the Godhead. Two weeks ago, we considered how we are invited to know and delight in the Father's fatherliness. We are to commune with the Father and know security in His love. Then last week, we considered how we can only come to know the Father in this way through the accomplishments of His Son. In union with Christ, we're not just brought to the Father, but we're also invited to enjoy fellowship with Jesus Christ in His saving grace. This morning then, we turn to consider how we can know and more fully delight in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Most of us can warmly relate to the Father and the Son. We can grasp their relational identities fairly readily. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're a bit unsure. We're a bit unsure of who He is, where He fits in, and even if we're supposed to have a relationship with Him. J.I. Packer has put it pretty bluntly in Knowing God, saying, the average Christian is in a complete fog as to what work the Holy Spirit does. So let me clear this up for you at the outset. We are invited in Scripture to cultivate a meaningful relationship with the Holy Spirit. Though it may be a bit more subtle in our experience, because the Spirit's work is to floodlight the Son and floodlight the Father, we are invited to enjoy what the Apostle Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is a fellowship that can be real and oh, how sweet. Think about it. As Christians, we should want to know everything the Bible reveals about the Holy Spirit. We want to know everything that Scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit to make sure that we are relating to Him rightly as God. We don't want to ignore the Holy Spirit or resist the Holy Spirit. We do not want to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit in any way. All things that Scripture says we can do. We want to walk in Him. Keep in step with Him. We want to know the Holy Spirit's strength and help in our everyday lives. We want to worship Him as God the Holy Spirit. We do not want to leave him aside as the forgotten God. 
So to assist us with this this morning, here is our plan. First, we're going to try and clarify the Bible's teaching of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Second, we're going to have a brief biography of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Third, a biography of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. Fourth, we're going to have an outline of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the church, according to Jesus. And then fifth, we're going to think of the implications of this. In what way are we to share fellowship with the Holy Spirit in a way that rightly honors Him? Now, there's a serious amount to get through there, as you can see, and please forgive me, I'm not going to be able to exhaustively deal with this subject this morning. In some ways, this is all introductory to whet your appetite to make you want to explore this all further. I won't be able to address fully many areas we would love to plunge into deeply, but this is one sermon to give us an overview of the Bible's teaching on the person and work of the Spirit. And if you have any additional questions afterwards, I'd be really happy to chat with you. But let's get uh, straight in. Sorry, I forgot to hit the last, the last bit there. Let's get straight into uh, clarifying the Bible's teaching of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. The first um, three quarters of this are going to be quite um, fast-paced and quite teaching-based. So I'd really ask you to try and zone in with me as you follow along and hopefully learn what the Bible teaches us about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. One of the first things we need to clarify when we're thinking about the Holy Spirit is the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. It's one of these words, I think you call it onomatopoeia. It sounds like what it actually is communicating. So you're supposed to go kind of ruach and let your breath go out because this word means breath or wind. It communicates the idea of breath or wind in motion. It's a word that conveys the idea of breath that gives life power, energy, movement. So Sinclair Ferguson in his book, The Holy Spirit, has commented on this word and said, while in the natural order, ruach may occasionally denote a gentle breeze, the dominant idea in the Old Testament is that of power. So you see, for example, the prophet Micah in Micah 3.8 saying, but as for me, I'm filled with power. That is, with the spirit, the ruach, of Yahweh, the Spirit of the Lord. This Ruach, this Spirit, this powerful, energizing force, um, if you will, is called the Holy Ruach, the Holy Spirit. And we know from Scripture that holiness means totally unique, of a different kind from anything else. You could be mistaken if we just stopped there to think, well, So is the Holy Spirit just a kind of impersonal power? Is he just some sort of impersonal power of God emanating out from God? Or is he a powerful person? I think it's really important that we're clear on this. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is presented as a powerful person. Not just an impersonal, not even, not at all, an impersonal power. Let me just present uh, some of the cases to support that from Scripture. In Genesis 1-2, we learn that the Spirit was with God at the beginning of creation. We also know from John 1-1-2 that in the beginning the Word was with God. 
So the Spirit was with God and distinct from God. The Son, the Word, was with God and was distinct with God in the beginning of creation. We read of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit at creation hovering over the voidness and emptiness, ready to exert His power in creation. And actually, that is a beautiful summary of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants to come to the chaos, the mess, and the emptiness of your life, And he wants to powerfully bring order, beauty, and fullness and satisfaction. So the Holy Spirit was with God at the beginning of creation. Second, Jesus, our greatest teacher on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, tells us that the Holy Spirit is another like him In John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So Jesus was saying there, I'm the first helper sent from the Father, I'm going away now, but the Father's going to send you another helper, that is the Spirit of truth, another like Jesus. Third, Jesus, when he is teaching about the Holy Spirit, refers to the Holy Spirit as a he, not an it. And this is significant. It's not an absolutely clinching argument grammatically, but it is important. In passages like John 14, 26, Jesus didn't speak of the Spirit as an impersonal power. He spoke of Him as a personal being. He said, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then... Fourthly, in Romans 8.26, we read of the Holy Spirit interceding for us. In Ephesians 4.30, we read that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. In Acts 5, we read that we can lie to the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask, how could these things be done to some kind of impersonal power? These things can only be done by and to a person. So the Holy Spirit interacts personally with people. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He is a powerful person. But as soon as we say that, we need to also recognize that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Jesus says in John 15, 26, that he will send the Spirit who proceeds out from the Father. This reflects on the eternal relationship that the Spirit has with the Father and the Son. Do you remember a few weeks back we saw that the Son eternally generates out from the Father and the Holy Spirit is eternally breathed out from the Father and the Son. He goes out from the Father and the Son. And so this reflects the divine origin of the Holy Spirit. There was never a time when the Spirit was not. He has eternally flowed forth from the Father and the Son. We know that the Holy Spirit is divine also from passages like Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Spirit. They're said to have lied to God. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to man, but to God. It's very clear. 
Then thirdly, the name of the Holy Spirit is placed in lists in Scripture alongside the name of the Father and the Son. This is done so in a way that makes no sense if the Holy Spirit is not co-eternal and divine like the Father and the Son. So in Matthew 28, verse 19, for example, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not a divine person, there is no way he would be put up alongside the Father and the Son in such texts. So we need to be really clear, the Holy Spirit is a person and is divine, fully God, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Now, let's think of Our second section, a brief biography of the work of the Holy Spirit from creation to Christ. That's an ambitious heading, isn't it? So I'm going to have to move pretty quickly through this. I want to begin just with the words um, that the early church fathers um, led us to uh, think about and use when we come to think of the Holy Spirit. In the Nicene Creed, you have this lovely summary of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. That's a beautiful way to think of the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And there are lots of ways that we see this life-giving, powerful work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. The first way we see it, for example, is his activity in creation. If the Spirit is divine, we should expect to see him inseparably operating with the Father and the Son in creation. And that is precisely what we see in the Old Testament. God creates, as we said last week, through his powerful word, through Jesus. All things were made through the Son, and there's not anything that was made that was made without him. The Father creates all things through the Son, but he creates all things through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that it can be said that nothing in creation was brought into being without the Son and the Holy Spirit working with the Father. This is brought together very nicely in Psalm 33, verse 6. For example, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So we're to think of God speaking, but also the personification of his speech in the word, the Son. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host, through the breathed out spirit, of God, all things were created. The Spirit was active in creation. That is what we are told in Genesis 1 verse 2, as the Spirit hovers over the chaos and the voidness, ready to exert his power as the Father speaks and creates through his powerful word. The other way we see the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament is we see him as the one who comes powerfully upon people to empower their service. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament anoints prophets to speak, judges to judge, kings to reign, and priests to intercede. They have no power apart from the the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit coming to help them. We read of the Holy Spirit coming upon or rushing upon people in the Old Testament to equip them with strength so that they could fulfill God's calling on their lives. So, for example, David in 1 Samuel 16, 13, we're told Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. 
And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward to empower him in his calling as the next king of Israel. We read of the Holy Spirit empowering prophets and revealing in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Peter actually speaks of this in 2 Peter 1.21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit actively empowering and equipping the prophets to reveal the will of God in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit comes powerfully upon people in the Old Testament to empower their service. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit also is the one who brings the comfort and rest of God's presence to his people in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 63, 11 to 14, for example, we read, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flocks. We're thinking of the deliverance from Egypt and the exodus here. Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So do you hear that? The, the Lord puts the Holy Spirit into the midst of the people in the, in the wilderness wandering and he gives them rest. The ministry of the Spirit in the Old Testament to the saints. We could say so much more, but finally let's just think of this ministry of the Spirit in the Old Testament. He is the one who instructed God's people. In this interesting passage in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 20 where we read, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. So here we have a whistle-stop tour summary of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But what I want you to really get from this is to see the Holy Spirit was active and at work in the Old Testament. And these are the works that characterize his ministry. So we shouldn't be surprised if in the New Testament and in the New Covenant we see the Holy Spirit doing similar works. Active in creation, empowering people for service, bringing the comfort of God's presence into our lives and instructing us as God's people. All of this ministry beautifully comes to a crescendo when we come to think of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to read through the Gospels with an eye to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One of the most beautiful things to observe in the Gospels is the ministry and companionship of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the constant and intimate companion of Jesus. At the original creation, the Father creates through the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In bringing about the new creation, the Father recreates and saves through the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We must never forget that in the gospel, the Father does not just send the Son... The Father sends the Son and the Holy Spirit to accomplish our redemption. Accomplish and apply. The Holy Spirit surrounds the ministry of Jesus on all sides. 
The work of the Holy Spirit, in fact, precedes the ministry of Jesus in that the Spirit is the one who brings about the incarnation. That would take you a moment just to sit and think on. It was the power and the operation and the work of the Holy Spirit who brought together in this mysterious way the conjunction of the divine and human natures in Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit did that. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. So in Luke 1.35, Mary was told, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Second, the Holy Spirit sustained and empowered the ministry of Jesus. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, his baptism, you remember what we see, that beautiful Trinitarian scene where the Spirit descends on Jesus and the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In Luke 4.14, Luke speaks to us of Jesus going forth to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 10, 21, by the way, in passing, Luke's gospel, Luke is the one that emphasizes more than any other gospel writers the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Luke often points to the, 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 the power of the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit. And of course, that makes sense because you think about it, he writes his detailed account of the life of Jesus in Luke's gospel, and then the sequel, Acts. And in Luke 10, 21, we're told that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful picture of what was going on in the triune God before creation ever started. Luke 10, 21, in that CMR, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And, and what did that joy in the Holy Spirit lead him to do? To give thanks to the Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So the Holy Spirit sustained and empowered the ministry of Jesus. Thirdly, we see in the life of Jesus, the Spirit empowers Christ's self-giving sacrifice on the cross. In Hebrews 9.14, we read, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Christ offered himself through the eternal Spirit. In some way, the Holy Spirit was ministering to Jesus and empowering him to give himself up to save us. The Holy Spirit completely and totally committed to the Son accomplishing the work of the Father. And finally then, the Holy Spirit empowered the resurrection of Christ. We read of this in Romans chapter 1 verse 4. I should have put the notes of those texts on the, the PowerPoint, but hopefully you're catching them as I'm going along. In Romans 1 4, we read that Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. There is some way in which the Holy Spirit empowered the resurrection of Christ. Now it's interesting in scripture because you can read of the father raising the son, 
Jesus himself raising himself and the Holy Spirit bringing forth the resurrection. But that shouldn't surprise us again because we've been thinking of this truth of inseparable operations. There is no work that each of the persons of the Godhead do by themselves. Every person of the Godhead is involved in every act of the Godhead. Yet we do indeed see certain persons taking a lead in certain acts. So the son dies on the cross. The father does not die on the cross. The son and the father send the spirit to indwell believers. So those are some of the ways we see the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Jesus. And it is such a beautiful thing to see the Spirit and the Son working together to accomplish and apply our salvation. Let's move to the fourth section now um, and think now of a brief biography of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the church according to Jesus. This would be a 10-week series by itself, but let's do what we can in the time allotted to me this morning. Now is where I want us to turn to John 14 to 17. So you might find it helpful to have that open in front of you. These are the most important chapters where Jesus teaches us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. They're not exhaustive, but really the key and heart of everything is right here. There are so many ways we could approach this, but I want to just draw Jesus' teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit in the church under two main headings to make it easy for us to remember. When we think of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the church, the first thing we want to think about is this. The Holy Spirit is the gatherer of Christ's church. If you look at John 16 verses 7 and 8, Jesus says that he will go away And send forth the Spirit. And in verse 8 he says that the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. If you're here and you're a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit has come to you and convicted you of your sin, your need of righteousness, and the judgment that will face you if you don't turn to Christ. As we've been thinking of the persons of the Godhead, we have been recognizing that we can speak of the Father as the originator of our salvation, the Son as the accomplisher of our salvation, and when we think of the Spirit in our salvation, we say that he is the applier of our salvation. All the benefits of Christ's accomplishments are only known to us in union with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who puts you into Christ. He is the bond of your union to Christ. The Holy Spirit moves sovereignly upon a person in the preaching of the gospel. They're hearing it and when the Holy Spirit was ordained that they would be saved through that message, he moves on that person with the same power he exerted in the original creation. He comes to our chaos to our emptiness, and he moves powerfully and sovereignly to bring order and beauty and fullness. Jesus said that conversion, becoming a Christian, happens when you are born again. 
He also called it being born of the Holy Spirit. Paul calls it in Titus 3.5, the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit powerfully works in people's lives to move them from a place where they were dead to a place where they're alive. And if you've known that in your life, you should be saying, thank you, Spirit of the living God, for doing that to me. Thank you for moving upon me and and opening my blind eyes and convicting my hard heart. The Holy Spirit works powerfully as we hear the gospel, opens the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of Christ. And I just want to ask, has this happened to you? Have you been born again of the Spirit? And I'm not asking here, did you grow up in the church? I'm not asking, are you a member of this church? I'm not asking if you had a profession of faith 30 years ago. I'm asking you now. Have you been born again? The Holy Spirit working on your heart to give you a new heart. Have you been filled with that new affection for God that would not be there had the Holy Spirit not worked upon you? Jesus didn't say it's a good idea to think about being born again. He said, you must be born again. No one will see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So the Holy Spirit does this work of convicting and awakening, gathering the church. And isn't it beautiful that then the symbol that we practice in the church to demonstrate this work is we baptize people. We immerse them in water. It's like they're baptized in the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's the gatherer of Christ's church. Here's the second way I think we're to think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. The Holy Spirit is then the indweller of Christ's church. Let's pay really careful attention here to John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now here is what we have to get our heads around this morning. The same Holy Spirit whose biography in the Bible we've been considering in the first half of this message The Holy Spirit who empowers for service, who leads and comforts, who instructs and counsels. He has been sent from the Father through the Son to take up residence and to bring all the comfort and blessing and strength of the Godhead into our lives. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is perhaps the most important aspect In fact, it's not perhaps. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the most important aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry that we are to understand. This is something we should understand deeply, appreciate deeply, and live on as Christians. What Jesus says in these verses, chapter 14, 16 down to 23, what he says here is so incredibly beautiful. Think about this. 
In the first half of John 14, what does Jesus speak about? He speaks of him going to the Father and preparing a place for us. You can see that there in John 14, uh, 1 to 3. He's going to go to the Father in whose house there there are many rooms and he's going to prepare a place for us. But here in 14, 15 to 23, Jesus says, while I'm gone, while I'm away preparing a place for you, the Spirit is going to come into your heart and he's going to make a home for me and the Father. The Holy Spirit is going to be a homemaker in your life. Here's what Jesus continues to say. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Now, what Jesus means there is he's going to come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that's the meaning of what he's saying there. He is so one with the Spirit, so identified with the Spirit, that the Spirit's coming into believers' hearts and lives is Jesus coming into our hearts and lives. Jesus went on to say, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Spirit enters our lives and indwells us to make our souls, our hearts, a sanctified home of righteousness for the Father and the Son. If there's no Calvary, if there's no atonement, there's no clean home for the Son and the Father to dwell in. So the Spirit brings us to the Godhead and he brings the Godhead into us. And that is why Jesus says in John 16, 17, these incredible words, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Jesus knows it's better to have the Spirit bringing life to us on the inside. It's even better to have that than to have the physical presence of Christ on the outside. That's what Jesus is saying there. It's it's to your advantage that I go because though I'm here with you physically on the outside and you can see me and it's amazing, it's better for you to have me to come on the inside by the ministry of the Spirit. That is the beauty of the new covenant. That's why Jesus can say at the end of the Great Commission, I'm going, but I'll be with you always. The Holy Spirit indwells. The same Spirit who indwelt and empowered Christ comes to indwell us. And just like Jesus said, In John 10, I and the Father are one. He can say, I and the Spirit are one. And so you have this mysterious, what we're all struggling to understand. How does it work? Three persons, one God. Each of the persons fully God, and yet three persons in one God. Do you comprehend this morning that the eternal third person of the Godhead who empowers for service, who brings the love and comfort of God's presence, who who helps you. God lives in you. That's incredible. That is the ministry of the Spirit. So, we need to then finally Think about in what ways are we to share fellowship with the Holy Spirit in a way that rightly honors him. 
honestly, you could now, again, spend another 10 sermons on this. So I've only picked a few areas that are broad headings under which I think, hopefully, all of the works of the Spirit are encompassed in one way or another. So what I'm thinking about now is kind of, right, so what? Tomorrow as I go to pray, how am I to think about the Holy Spirit? How do I enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? Well, the first way I think we're to think about having fellowship with the Holy Spirit is having fellowship with him as our helper. So you start to think in your prayer as you pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. You start to think, Father, thank you for your your Son who's cleansed my heart and thank you for your Spirit who's come to live in my heart. Today I need the Holy Spirit's help. And you can turn then and pray to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit directly to help you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our helper in John 14 to 16 several times. And it's that word parakletos, you've probably heard of it before. It can be translated in a variety of ways, but I think the best way is one who comes to our aid in a variety of ways. That's what Jesus was meaning when he said, I'm going to send the helper to you. One who's going to live in you and he is going to come to your aid in a variety of ways. The Holy Spirit's goal is not to make you a wacky charismatic. Some of you have shared with me that you know, you've kind of this fear of the Holy Spirit and you don't know what the Holy Spirit will do if you kind of open your life up to him. Fear in that kind of scared sense should not be in our minds when we come to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Because that word helper can also be translated comforter. The Holy Spirit is not given to make you a wacky charismatic. He's given to help you become more like Jesus. In your character. To make home in your heart. To bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Christ-like characteristics. Sanctification. Love, joy, peace. That's what the Holy Spirit is here to help you with. To bring into your life. So if you're lacking joy, it can be good to pray like David. Lord, create me a new heart. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit We're to think of him as our helper. So as you come to pray this week and worship God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as you think of the Father in his fatherliness and the Son in the beauty of his grace and your union with him, start to think of the Spirit as your great helper. The one who the Father and the Son has said, you're here, you're with me now, you're the third person of the Trinity in this age of the Spirit. You're the one here to help me. And think of all the ways the Holy Spirit helps us. He gives us strength to cope with difficult times. He helps us by interceding for us when we can't pray, Romans 8. He helps us in our evangelism, giving us courage when we lack it, Acts 1, 8. You'll have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. He helps his church by giving us a variety of gifts empowered by the Spirit to build us up. And we should be open to all the ways he sovereignly does this and should not quench him in any way. Oh, for an hour now on the gifts of the Spirit or another six-week series on that. 
Some of you would probably love me for it. Some of you would probably struggle with me for it. But I am convinced we should be open to all the ways the Holy Spirit works to build up his church today. And we do not want to quench him by ignoring him, resisting him, or limiting him in any way. But here's where I want to land this first point. I want to really encourage you not to live like you don't need the Holy Spirit. I was cycling as part of my training this week up the St. Field Road and I stopped at the lights uh, at the bottom of the St. Field Road and who, what pulled up beside me but a motorbike. <laughs> and I sort of thought, I'm a wee pedal bike, and I sort of thought, right, I reckon the first few strokes of my pedals I can get ahead of this guy. And so there's me sort of revving up in my mind, my wee push bike, and uh, the light goes green and off I go. And it's so funny, we just wee twist to the wrist and off goes the motorbike flying. You know, I don't want to live my life like me on that bike, pushing away in all my might when I've got the power of the Holy Spirit to help me. Some of us perhaps have been living our lives like me on that bike, uphill struggles, totally forgotten the Holy Spirit, and you're just pedaling away and sweating and stressing. Maybe it would help you in that moment to just say, Father, I know through your Son you've given me the Spirit to comfort and help me. Oh, please help me now to receive the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit. Or turn and say, Spirit of the living God, you've come to me through Jesus, through the Father, from the Father. Please comfort me. As a person, we can pray to him in our prayer time directly. We can ask the Holy Spirit for strength. And we recognize that he comes to us as our helper. I'll say a bit more about praying to the Holy Spirit in just a moment. But the second way... I think that we are to enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit is by looking to him as our teacher and guide. In John 15, 26, you can see it there in front of you. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Bring to remembrance all I've said to you. In chapter 16, 14, Jesus said, he'll take what is mine and make it known to you. This for me is one of the most wonderful ministries of the Holy Spirit. And it's summarized elsewhere by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.12. Paul writes like this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the, freely, the things freely given us by God. Now this is why I really struggle whenever my Pentecostal, Elam, charismatic friends, they will say, we're the people of the Holy Spirit. And people in more reformed kind of conservative traditions, they sort of don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. They're just terrified of, of, of anyone becoming like a charismatic. And, and I want to say, no, no, no. The, 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 the gifts and all of that stuff, that is such a small slice of the pie of what the Holy Spirit does in Scripture. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is described here by the Apostle Paul and by Jesus. He'll take what Christ has accomplished. He'll take the glory of Christ, the accomplishments of Christ, the beauty of what God has done in the gospel. The Holy Spirit's going to take all of that and he's going to make it known to you. He's going to put it in your heart. He's going to stir your heart so that you feel the love of God. Know the power of the gospel at work in your life so that it's not just in your head, but you've been moved deep with a change of affection. 
The Holy Spirit does that in your life. We have received the Spirit who's from God so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You cannot grow in your understanding of the gospel. You can't even comprehend the nature of the triune God if the Holy Spirit is not illuminating and floodlighting Christ and floodlighting the Father. Anytime you come to open your Bible, any sermon, we need the light of the Spirit or we will see nothing. So do we come with this kind of dependence in our hearts to church, to our Bibles, in anything that we're facing as Christians? And here's what I just want to say now to balance this word on praying to the Holy Spirit. We should expect his ministry to be subtle because his ministry is a ministry that floodlights Christ and the Father. Now, not always subtle. Not always subtle. But a spirit-filled Christian will always be looking at Christ. And a Christ-centered Christian will always be moving towards the Father. And so I think we should seek to follow this grain in our prayer lives. Proportioning out prayer appropriately. Directing our prayer to the Father, usually, through the Son, knowing that we go in that direction through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said last week, I think we can stop along the way and commune with and worship and speak with Christ as he brings us to the Father. And we can commune with and speak to the Spirit as he brings us to the Son. But the usual grain of Scripture is to pray as Jesus taught us to pray our Father, coming through the accomplishments of the Son, knowing that we're only in the Son through the power of the Spirit. And I like to articulate that in prayer. I like to think about that. I like to say that when I preach the gospel to myself in prayer. So this week, pray to the Father. Know that you can only come to him through the amazing accomplishments of the Son. But don't forget that you would not be in the Son if it wasn't for the Spirit. And either turn to thank the Father and the Son for the Spirit, if you're more comfortable with that, or turn, perhaps, and start exploring what it is to pray and commune with the Holy Spirit. For he is a person, and he is God. Finally then, I think we should learn to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit by looking to him to keep reassuring us of our true identity as the beloved children of God. In Romans 8, 16, we read, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And in Romans 5, 5, the Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. The Holy Spirit's ministry is given to help you know that you are loved. Loved by the Father and loved by the Son. The Spirit is there to pour the love of God into your life. So if you have been really struggling to know the love of God, perhaps this week it would be helpful for you to turn to the Holy Spirit and say, oh, pour in afresh the love of the Father and the Son for me. So, listen, you've been very patient through all of these sermons and I really appreciate it. But let's just close things off now. And I just want to ask you a question at the end of this series now. What are you going to do with all this? I've been assuming in this series that knowing God is important to you. But perhaps it's not. I want to start as I finish the series. How well do you know God? Do you want to know him more? Or are you happy in the superficial shallows? The superficial shallows. I don't want to stay there. 
So I would encourage you to start here this morning. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and do a new work in your heart. To floodlight the Son like never before. And to floodlight the Father's glory and love like never before. The Spirit will take you to Christ. And in Christ, you'll experience grace and mercy, even for your sin of ignoring the Holy Spirit. And Christ will say, come to my Father. Clean, knowing that you are loved. Every reason for my Father to be displeased with you, I've taken it away. Keep pursuing God. Keep pressing on to know God more. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is an inexhaustible fountain of delight. Go and enjoy the infinite oneness of the three infinite ones and rejoice this week that by grace, you have been enfolded into the happy land of the Trinity. Let's pray. Father, it's no small thing to try to teach people about who you are, who your Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is. So I commit this series to you, our God, and pray that you would keep doing your good work through it for the glory of your Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that we would want to know you more. And if there's anyone here this morning that is still in their sins, with a dead heart, even though they might look religious on the outside, if there's deadness within, we pray, Father, that through your Son, you would powerfully send forth the Holy Spirit again to awaken the dead to life. And where there are any dead bones among us here at Great Vic, we pray that through your word and through the power of your Spirit, you would breathe life into us again. We ask, Father, through the Son, that your Holy Spirit would fully have his way with us here at Great Vic, teaching us, empowering us, leading us. For the glory of Christ and the glory of the Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to respond with this hymn that is written as a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing, weary soul, whatever the words are. Let's stand together and praise God.
now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 